Chapter fourteen of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nellie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nellie by J. B. Polly. Chapter fourteen. Reminiscences of Chickamauga. Chattanooga, Tennessee, October first, eighteen sixty three. I wrote to you last from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Then I sat in a chair by the side of a table and under the shade of a maple, sore and downcast over disastrous defeat, but doing my best to keep a stiff upper lip and make light of it. Now, elated by a glorious victory, I sit in the shadow of Lookout Mountain, with my back against a tent post, writing on a wide board held on my lap. With the details of the long and tiresome journey in box-cars from Virginia, I will not weary your patient soul, remarking, however, by way of parenthesis, that somewhere on the route I not only lost my knapsack, but also the pair of number three cloth gaiters, which, as I wrote you, I refused to give to the young lady in the Shenandoah Valley. You may think it just retribution, but I impute the happening to the meanness of the fellow who did the stealing. The Battle of Chickamauga was fought, as you know, on the nineteenth and twentieth days of last month the texas brigade got into position early on the morning of the nineteenth and during the balance of that long and struggling day the booming of artillery and the roar of small arms on its right and left was incessant and terrific judging alone from the noise it appeared to us that every man of both armies must soon be wounded or killed and we wondered much why the sound of the firing seemed neither to recede nor advance and why there was none of the yelling to which we had been accustomed in virginia and when at last it was learned that the opposing lines were simply standing two or three hundred yards apart firing at each other as fast as guns could be loaded and triggers pulled comments were many and ludicrous the consensus of opinion being that such a method of fighting would not suit troops which in virginia were accustomed to charge the enemy at sight one brave fellow said and voiced the sentiment of all boys if we have to stand in a straight line as stationary targets for the yankees to shoot at with a rest this old texas brigade is going to run like it is said that when Longstreet, on this second day, heard the shouts of his men as the Yankees were being driven back, suggested to Bragg that a general and simultaneous attack should be made all along the lines. "'But I have no assurance that the enemy has begun to retreat,' objected Bragg. "'Well, I know he has,' replied Longstreet, "'for I hear my men yelling, and can tell from it that they are driving the enemy before them.' But Bragg was skeptical, and waited for actual reports from the front, and these came too late for a movement which would have forced Rosecrans beyond the Tennessee River, and given us possession of Chattanooga, almost without a struggle. As it is, the Lord only knows when, how, or whether we shall ever capture it, for there is no rainbow of promise yet in the sky of war that points in the direction of that devoutly to be wished consummation. The part of the lines around Chattanooga occupied by us begins at a point half a mile from the foot of Lookout Mountain. The picket line, as first established, resting its right on Chattanooga Creek and stretching across a wide bend to that stream again. General Hood's loss of a leg at Chickamauga has devolved the command of our division upon Brigadier General Jenkins, whose brigade of South Carolinians joined us at Chickamauga. This brigade is composed of a magnificent body of men whose brand-new Confederate uniforms easily distinguish them from the members of other commands i was lucky enough to be on picket duty a few nights ago with my friends will burgess and john west of companies d and e of the fourth each of whom is not only a good soldier but a most entertaining companion as the night advanced it became cold enough to make a fire very acceptable and appropriating a whole one to ourselves we had wandered from a discussion of the war and of this particular campaign that was little flattering to general bragg into pleasant reminiscences of our homes and loved ones when someone on horseback said good evening gentlemen 
looking hastily up we discovered that the intruder was general jenkins alone and unattended by either aide or orderly and were about to rise and salute in approved military style when with a smile plainly perceptible in the bright moonlight he said no don't trouble yourselves and letting the reins drop on his horse's neck threw one leg around the pommel of his saddle and entered into conversation with us had you been listening for the next half hour or so charming nelly you would never have been able to guess which of us was the general for ignoring his rank as completely as we careless texans forgot it he became at once as private a soldier as either of us and talked and laughed as merrily and unconcernedly as if it were not war times i offered him the use of my pipe and smoking tobacco burgess was equally generous with the plug he kept for chewing and west was even polite enough to regret that the whiskey he was in the habit of carrying as a preventative against snake bites was just out in short we were beginning to believe general jenkins of south carolina the only real general in the confederate service when to our surprise and dismay he straightened himself up on his saddle and climbing from gay to grave from lively to severe announced that at midnight the picket line would be expected to advance and drive the yankees to the other side of the creek we might easily have forgiven him for being the bearer of this discomforting intelligence had that been the sum total of his offending but it was not he rode away without expressing the least pleasure at having made our acquaintance or even offering to shake hands with us the necessary and inevitable consequence of such discourtesy being that he descended at once in our estimation to the level of any other general but midnight was too near at hand to waste time in nursing indignation instant action was imperative and resolving ourselves into a council of war with plenary powers it was unanimously decided by the three privates there assembled that our recent guest was an upstart wholly undeserving of confidence that the contemplated movement was not only foolish and impracticable but bound to be dangerous and that if a single shot were fired at us by the enemy we three would just lie down and let general jenkins of south carolina do his own advancing and driving being veterans we knew far better than he how easy it was at night for opposing lines to intermingle with each other and men to mistake friends for enemies and we did not propose to sanction the taking of such chances all too soon the dreaded and fateful hour arrived all too soon the whispered order forward was passed from man to man down the long line and like spectral forms in the ghastly moonlight the confederate pickets moved slowly out into the open field in their front every moment expecting to see the flash of a gun and hear or feel its messenger of death and all awed by the fear the bravest men feel when confronting unknown danger not ten minutes before the shadowy forms of the enemy had been seen by our vedettes and if the line of the creek was worth capturing by us it surely was worth holding by the yankees but all was silent and still no sight of foe no tread of stealthy footstep no sharp click of gunlock not even the rustling of a leaf or the snap of a twig came out of the darkness to relieve our suspense and quiet the expectant throbbing of our hearts under these circumstances west burgess and your humble servant like the brave and true men they are held themselves erect and advanced side by side with their gallant comrades until the terra incognita and impenetrability of the narrow but timbered valley of the stream suggested ambush and the advisability of rifle pits working at these with a will born of emergency we managed to complete them just as the day dawned and jumping into them with a sigh of inexpressible relief our courage rising as the night fled waited for hostilities to begin but the yankees had outwitted us their withdrawal by some strange coincidence having been practically simultaneous with our advance they taking just start enough however to keep well out of our sight and hearing west remarked next morning it's better to be born lucky than rich but whether he referred to our narrow escape or to that of the yankees he refused to say 
soon afterward a truce along the picket lines in front of the texans was arranged that is there was to be no more shooting at each other's pickets the little killing and wounding done by the practice never compensating for the powder and shot expended and the discomfort of being always on the alert night and day but the south carolinians whose picket line began at our left their first rifle pit being within fifty feet of the last one of the first texas could make no terms whatever the federals charge them with being the instigators and beginners of the war and as i am informed always exclude them from the benefit of truces between the pickets it is certainly an odd spectacle to see the carolinians hiding in their rifle pits and not daring to show their heads while not fifty feet away the texans sit on the ground playing poker in plain view and within a hundred yards of the yankees worse than all the palmetto fellows are not even permitted to visit us in daylight except in disguise their new uniforms of gray always betraying them wherever they go one of them who is not only very fond of but successful at the game of poker concluded the other day to risk being shot for the chance of winning the money of the first texas and divesting himself of his coat slipped over to the texas pit an hour before daylight and by sunrise was giving his whole mind to the noble pastime an hour later a keen-sighted yankee sang out say you texas johnnies ain't that fellow playin cards with his back to a saplin one of them south carolina secessionists seems to me his breeches are newer than they ought to be this direct appeal for information placed the texans between the horns of a dilemma hospitality demanded the protection of their guest prudence the observance of good faith toward the yankees the delay in answering obviated the necessity for it by confirming the inquirer's suspicion and exclaiming damn him i just know it is he raised his gun quickly to his shoulder and fired the south carolinian was too active though at the very first movement of the yankee he sprang ten feet and disappeared into a gulch that protected him from further assault jack smith of company d is sui generis a brave and gallant soldier he is yet an inveterate straggler and is therefore not always on hand when the battle is raging but at chickamauga he was and singularly enough counted for two another member of company d is constitutionally opposed to offering his body for sacrifice on the altar of his country and when he cannot get on a detail which will keep him out of danger is sure to fall alarmingly sick jack determined to put a stop to this shirking so early on the morning of the nineteenth he took the fellow under his own protecting and stimulating care and attacking him in the most vulnerable point to the surprise of everybody carried him into and through the fight of the day come right along with me fred and don't be scared a particle jack was heard to say in his coaxing mellifluous voice as he began to advance on the enemy for i'll shoot the head off the first man who points a gun at you you stick close to me fire at everything you see in front of you and i'll watch out for your carcass and after we have whipped the yanks you and me'll finish them bitters in my haversack but i don't like bitters protested fred in a trembling voice i know that old feller and i don't generally like him myself but these are made on the old nigger's plan the least might in the world of cherry bark still less of dogwood and then fill up the bottle with whiskey needless to say that after the battle was over and jack had brought his protege safely through its perils quite a number of comrades looked longingly at the bottle in vain however jack was loyal to his promise and he and fred were the merriest men in company d that night discussing the subject on the picket post the night general jenkins interviewed us and just before he did burgess insisted that the influence which carried fred into the engagement was a spirit of patriotism newly awakened in his bosom and i gave the credit to jack smith's personal magnetism but when west insisted it was the bitters burgess and i instantly acknowledged the corn burgess saying with a wink at me you ought to know west i reckon better than either of us you carry the same kind of bitters yourself don't you 
then not to be outdone in courtesy west modestly acknowledged the corn himself and thus gave us a chance to repeat our acknowledgments and hope he would never die while he continued as good a judge of liquor and as liberal in sharing it with his comrades that was the reason general jenkins failed to secure an invitation to drink end of chapter fourteen recording by denise nordell modesto california